Okay, so welcome for another week of the Take the Two. So certainly very interesting week of fixtures, or sorry, of fixtures we just had and obviously fixtures to come as well, sort of. I guess maybe some results we we expected, other ones that may have sprung a bit of a surprise, but certainly plenty to look forward to in round seven. We'll just get right into it. Obviously, our opening game is the Thursday night game. We've got the Panthers and the Rabbitohs. Now, I guess, look, Penrith probably weren't at their at their ultimate best. I mean, they didn't play too badly to get the win against the Storm. Obviously, that's, that's you know quite a confidence boost for them going into the game. They come up against a bunny side that, I guess, in a, you know, not in a way, they did. They, they steamrolled the New Zealand Warriors, who, you know, we'll touch on later, but certainly... They're not a side at the moment that can, I guess, go toe to toe with the big guns. What do you make of this one, Tom? Is the are the Panthers too strong, or or as Latrell Mitchell starts to find his groove, our fullback and obviously Cody Walker back now as well. Are they are they the two guys that are going to cause Penrith some problems as always? Yeah, well, I think it's going to be a pretty close one. Obviously, great performance last week from Penrith. I guess all the stars stood up against the big side like Melbourne. And that's what you really want to see from them. And it really showed in their performance on the field. I think you had Cleary and Coruscant obviously steering the show. But another guy is Isaiah Yo, He's just been exceptional this year, pumping out some really great stats at a super high, uh, super high work rate as well, um, especially with no Capewell. He pretty much he's walked into 80 minutes there and he's been one of the biggest improvers this year for mine so far. And then on the other side, South, mostly unchanged this week, except for that little switch with Tom Amoni out for James Roberts. I think James Roberts on, off the bench could be a really interesting play for them. Uh, especially late in the game. Wayne Bennett might decide just to inject a little bit of pace into the game. We've already seen what that can do around tiring forwards with the new rule changes. So Campbell Graham, I think he's really coming into his own at the centre position, which is good to see. I know Wayne Bennett sort of sees him as a longer-term centre, more so than a wing. So I think he's probably a guy to watch moving forward, but especially as uh, teams are really opting for that short crossfield kick to the centres these days, I think that would be a really great play for South to start employing with such great kickers like Reynolds and Walker. And then you consider Graham's height in the centre position. That that could definitely be a very lethal play for them in the weeks to come. Yeah, I mean that's it. I mean I guess the the taller your your, your backline players can be certainly helps. And plus with the new rule where you know defending players can't tackle them in the air, that only makes their life easier. I thought for Penrith there was probably probably a key difference that may I mean, not 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 that we not that it went unnoticed, but obviously when you have when you do have the likes of Cleary and Coruscant and Yo, as you mentioned, sort of steering the ship, probably the return of Dylan Edwards helped them a fair bit as well, obviously. you know, I mean, not that Caleb Aikens was was playing badly as such, but Edwards compared to Aikens is probably... Edwards, I guess, has that bit more of that ball-playing ability, so he can sort of chime in at the back like most fullbacks do in, in, in today's game, whereas Aikens was sort of more just that old-style sort of run fullback that probably probably wasn't going to be able to, I guess, slot in at a, a first or second receiver to to try and create more opportunities at the back. So certainly helps when you have a fullback like that that is able to, I guess, take a bit of pressure off off your leading men. Yeah, 100%. I think that would definitely better off with Edwards on the field, and I think that's something that we predicted last week. And Caleb Bacons, he did a solid job. Obviously, led them to a, a pretty good start of the season without Edwards, but definitely... Um, Dylan at the back just provides that extra injection into their attack and um, they could really go a long way this year, the, Pen- uh, the Panthers. Yeah, I mean, time will tell. They're certainly go- going all guns blazing and that we've got, they've got that easy run, as we'll allude to, with, with Tim on the, for, 
for super coach purposes later. But yeah, I mean, when when you have the, I get what was the sharks, the tigers, and the dogs coming up in the next few weeks as well. So, you know, there's certainly no time to really stamp home all of their momentum and and just get on a roll. So we'll move on to the first game on the Friday night. Now we've got funnily enough the two the two losers out of the last week's Thursday night teams, which is the Storm and the Warriors. Now look, I think it's probably a I guess a no-brainer that the Storm are going to win this one essentially. I mean, something would have to go catastrophically wrong for the Storm not to win. And it helps too when they get Adokar and Jerome Hughes back. I guess you look at this, this is obviously the first game the Warriors have with Todd Payton in charge after Stephen Kearney was given the sack, which which again we'll, we'll touch on a bit later. Eliezer Katoa is out as well, which is a big loss for the Warriors given how well he's been performing in his... Well, rookie season, I mean, for a guy that has played very little rugby league before this season, and well, before last season, obviously coming through the ranks, he's certainly done well. They get Ken Mamalo back as well, which is a boost for them. But it's really hard to see this going any anywhere but a Storm win, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, definitely. I think, obviously, the Storm, as well as Penrith played, they were disappointing last week, and they're still probably trying to find their groove a little bit. I think we probably found thought that they'd they'd found a bit of momentum, but last week's performance was far from their best. I thought. I think the one exception to that has been Cam Munster, and he's just been unreal for them, especially in the absence of Jerome Hughes. I think he's steered the team around the park really well. And yeah, I expect Munster and perhaps Pappenhausen to put up a bit of a score this week. I think the Warriors they might struggle after being what's obviously been a pretty tough week. There's been reports around that the sacking of Kearney wasn't to the liking of the players and a number of guys like. Tori Harris, you know, the real leaders of the group are quite upset with the decision. Eli Katoa, big out, as you said. He's been one of their best. So you probably expect Torhu to return back to that edge and Blair into the middle, uh, even though they've been named around the other way. But, yeah, can't, can't really see much else than a big Storm win on this one. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Storm want to bounce back after that disappointing display against the Panthers. So I guess, sadly, at the expense of the Warriors, if they, if they put a number on them, it'll certainly... Certainly help them to get their mojo back, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, we've seen in the past teams come out fired up after the after the week they've lost a coach. And, you know, we could see that from the Warriors, but it's just difficult to see them having enough class to beat the Storm. I guess it's going to, I guess you could probably say it'd be much of the same in Friday's second game. We have the Roosters and the Dragons. And obviously, the Roosters, they had that, I guess, hard fought win in a way. It was probably, probably the last 15 or 20 minutes or so where they, they sort of, took control of the game and, and oh, well, not ran away with it, but I guess, you know, got the margin out to a, a good margin. And we know, you know, the whole thing with James Tedesco as to whether he's going to play or not after being steamrolled by, by Mike Acevo. But as we saw when Teddy was rested the week before that time, I mean, you have a guy like Brett Morris who, well, he and Josh, they just seem ageless, don't they? And yet here they are slotting into... Every, posi- every backline position under the sun and just excelling. Yeah, definitely. The Roosters, they're red hot at the moment. You know, super pr- impressive to see them win out against Parramatta last week. I thought, you know, with 10 to 15 minutes to go, when Sivo runs over Tedesco, you probably think, you know, down in the game that that's it for the Roosters, but they just find a way, as we say it all the time. But they just decide who knows how to win and grind out those tough games. Yeah, as you said, we've spoken at length about the importance of Tedesco, but the Morris brothers have just been exceptional. I think at 33, we probably thought that they were both just going to cruise into retirement, but they've taken it up a notch, arguably probably career best form now. 
you know, last week they had four line breaks between them, a try, an assist. Yeah, they've just been fantastic, really. But then, on the other hand, the Dragons probably going to struggle again. I think, you know, viewing it from the outside, this one's a pretty clear-cut result again. Obviously, got the win last week against the Gold Coast, which they need to do, but probably no true indication of the form. I thought uh, one guy who's been really good for them, though, has been Zach Lomax. I thought over the last few weeks, particularly in defence, he's been quite strong. 22 tackles last week in the centres. He was solid when he needed to be. Obviously, he started the year at fullback, but I think he's probably found a bit of a, a long-term home in the centres there. Yeah, he certainly is. I mean, I think I think there was a bit of uncertainty even even coming to the ranks as to... I mean, like there is with with, with a, lot of, a lot of kids because they can cover multiple positions, but he probably hadn't found his one true spot yet. But, yeah, pretty much this last three weeks or so, he's, he's certainly found a home in the centres and obviously he, he scored his first his first try as a centre at the NRL level after running off that short ball from was it Adam Clune or whoever it was. But, uh, no, and, and I mean, it was, it was deserved. You know, he certainly, I guess, in some very poor... Dragons' performances, he's certainly been up there among their best. Obviously, you know, we see Jason Saab come back, or not come back, come into the side, you know, in light of all this talk that he wants to release and he's not happy and all of this is supposedly bad blood between he and McGregor, which I guess has since been denied, but you can never know. And I guess probably, or not, I mean, they probably saw it coming, but obviously James Graham is not in the side at all. We know he's going back to St. Helens effective immediately. I guess he just got an offer that was, you know, probably probably too good to pass up or the chance to just go back back and back home and play was was probably too good to pass up. So we've got Trent Merrin coming in at lock in his absence or in his place I should say. But even you could probably make a thousand changes to the Dragon side and it wouldn't make much difference, Tom. Yeah, no, definitely not, I don't know. Don't think Merrin's going to make too much of a difference. The guy that they're obviously missing in that position and whose position Merrin is filling is Jack DeBellin. And obviously that court case is going to drag on another week. So yet to be seen what happens there. But uh, yeah, they desperately need DeBellin back. Yeah, they certainly do. I mean, you know, if if those, if those reports are true and he was, he was playing halfback when the Dragons' B-side beat the A-side, I mean, that probably tells you that he's still as fit as a fiddle and and raring to go, presuming the courts give him give him the clearance essentially that you know that he hasn't been that he won't be charged or or you know facing any any sort of time for what he's allegedly done. So yeah, they're 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 crying out for a guy like that to come back. I guess time will tell. So we'll move on to Saturday now. You know we we touched on on both. I guess more so on the Knights earlier than than the Cowboys, but I mean this one's it, it's probably not, probably not a not a foregone conclusion, but. You know, the Knights are in second spot. They're flying high. We know what Kalen Pong has been doing. I mean, their forward pack, especially their prop rotation with Clemens Saifidi and even to a lesser extent, Jacob Saifidi and SASA off the bench. I mean, they just seem to be all guns blazing at the moment. Obviously, no Bradman best because of the the accidental, I guess, breach of the COVID-19 restrictions. He went to go visit his mum and, you know, had to be at his house or a cafe and not at someone else's house. So, Enari Tawala will hold his spot for this game. Do you do you give the Cowboys any chance in this one, Tom, or is or, or are the Knights just playing too well to really let them really let them into the contest? Uh, without Val and possibly without Jordan McLean, I know there's a little bit of conjecture over whether he'll play or not. Yeah, probably no chance for the Cowboys here. 
the one guy that we always know can pull him out of a slump that was Jason Tamuolo. He'll need to come up with something pretty special up against Saifidi and Clever this week if he wants to get his team rolling, though. Obviously, that first half last week against the Tigers was atrocious. They missed Mao in attack, but I think they probably missed McLean more in defence. And then the Knights, I know we'll talk about it a little bit later with Tim, but Daniel Saifidi has just been exceptional. He's been playing out of his skin. Everyone's probably shocked to see him play Origin last year, but I think he's more than shown why over the last few weeks why he's. I think he's more than shown over the last few. Uh, I think he's more than shown over the last few weeks why he is an Origin caliber player. Obviously, he played the first two rounds off the bench, but now he's into the starting lineup, playing along the lines of 70 minutes a game, just churning out hit ups and tackles. He's really rivaling Clemmer as the ninth best prop, and he's been taking some minutes off him as well. I think it's been, his form has been super important for getting the Knights on the front foot, which then allows, obviously, Pierce and Ponga and Kurt Mann to go about their work. And I thought Kurt Mann was quite good last week. Obviously, we saw Ponga predominantly down the right with Pierce, but uh, I thought Mann ran that left edge really well and you know, set up a fair few tries in that first half against Brisbane. Yeah, I mean, Kurt Mann's certainly been, I guess, uh, maybe an unheralded piece, I guess, in this Knights system. You know, obviously, we know, that, we know the firepower that they've got with Ponga and Pierce, but I mean, I guess for a guy that many were thinking, oh, you know, he might not last too long in the 5-8 role because we know they've got Phoenix Crossland waiting in the wings who probably would have started the year had he not been injured in those first couple of rounds. But, I mean, yeah, you, ca- you can't really fault Kurt Mann at all. I think the majority of the games he's played in is, I mean, at least this year for the Knights, he's certainly, you know, done his role well, he's played to the highest level and, and probably really helped them, particularly couple of weeks ago when they did obviously the week when Ponga was suspended Mitchell Pierce went off with concussion and they weren't really left without they were I guess they were left without any sort of real playmaker and you know Kurt Mann came to the fore and really got them back into that contest against the Panthers so our second game on Saturday now I mean I guess if you had told us at the start of the season that this was going to be I guess a game between two struggling Queensland sides you probably would have been laughed out of the room but I mean, that's exactly what it is. You sort of you have a Titan side that, I guess, you know, it, where they are is where we expected them to be just because they are going through, you know, quite a rebuild under Justin Holbrook. But if you had said that the Broncos would be languishing near the bottom after these seven rounds, I mean, no one would have said that, would they, Tom? Yeah, no, definitely not. Obviously, the Broncos form has been a massive surprise and, with that comes a number, a number of changes. Obviously, injuries haven't helped as well. I think one that I'm really interested in, uh, interested in this week is Tessie New. Obviously, coming in over Jermaine Osako with Osako moving into that 14 role. Probably a good move for Anthony Siebold to blood Tessie New against the Titans, make him feel like he's a first grader there, giving him a bit of a taste of the action, considering these contract is expiring. And I'm sure the contract talks have probably played a bit of a role in, in the selections this week. I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, but you obviously testing you being rumoured to be leaving for the Titans. I think Pat Carrigan and Tom Flegler are big losses this week, but they really just need David Fafita back as soon as possible. I think they're just missing that spark and that extra option he gives on the attack. I think guys like Anthony Milford are really worse off for it because uh, at the moment it sort of looks like plan A is kicked to Xavier Coates and there's no plan B. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I certainly I guess in a way that's not a bad approach. I mean, Coates is, you know, quite a tall winger, a good, good aerial leaper as well. But yeah, if that's your number one play, and I guess when you look at the, the backline or the potency of the Broncos side, there's probably, 
probably not a lot there. So, yeah, I mean, 100%, you know, a guy like David Fafida, just to, I guess, even balance out their back row because they've got, you know, Alex Glenn and Tavita Pangai Jr. Now, you know, obviously nothing against either of the two of them, but one is, you know, a little bit older, probably not as, as noted for his attack anymore. And Tavita Pangai Jr., you just never know when he's going to do something stupid and, and get suspended. I mean, it's pretty much every second or third week where he's saying, you know, or just the rugby league community in general is saying, oh, you know, why did he do that? And here he is again getting suspended. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that he gets a grade one, it's three weeks because of his, his record over the last few years. But I don't know, this is, I guess, maybe you, well, not maybe, I mean, it, it's so hard. I mean, you probably just go with the Broncos given that the Titans, I guess many do expect them to finish with the spoon. But at the same time, you just never know what Broncos side is going to show up. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that it's a bit of a danger game for the Broncos, and yeah, I can't imagine what will happen if they lose to the Titans, because I think that media scrum up there is just going to absolutely hound them. I think just one point before we move on to the next game, it's interesting to see uh, Mitch Rain come back into the starting uh, hooking role for the Titans. I thought that was a little bit harsh on Aaron Clark, who looked pretty good in his first few games, but I guess Rain's got the runs on the board and give Clark a little bit more experience before he comes in and gets that role. Yeah, that was a bit surprising, but... I don't know, I, mean, I guess certainly Holbrook hasn't been afraid to be ruthless, so maybe he's he's seeing something he doesn't like. But I guess if, if there is one Titans player that probably has impressed me a fair bit, it's been Tanner Boyd. And obviously, he's I think he came from the Broncos system a couple of years back and wasn't getting a run, so then came to the Titans. Titans fans have him mooted as a, I guess, a long-term halfback, but he's playing that utility role for now. I mean, he scored quite scored quite a quite a nice try on the weekend, just sort of darted through from about 10 metres out and, you know, caught the defenders off guard to score. So, I mean, obviously, you know, he's certainly got the got the flair, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, he's, he's only quite a small small guy as well, but doesn't let that stop him from, from getting amongst it when he's on the field. Yeah, definitely. I think if things don't work out with Jamal Fogarty at 5'8", we might even see him sort in there or into the halfback position with Ash Taylor shifting into the six later in the season. Uh, as they try to, you know, guard some of those rookies as part of that rebuild process. Yeah, I mean, well, the, I guess the Titans, they're at that point where they, they've they got to try anything and everything, so Holbrook can decide who stays and who goes. But, yeah, they've got quite a few, at least, at least a couple of years of rebuilding ahead of them. But, you know, no time like the present for, for some of these guys to, to show that they belong. So, been an interesting one nevertheless. So, the final game on Saturday... We've got the Eels and the Raiders, and obviously they both lost in round six. As an Eels fan, look, I guess I can't be, I can't be too disappointed with the way that they did play against the Roosters. I mean, probably for about 60, 65 minutes, you know, we were, I mean, much, much like one of our contests last last year as well. Sort of, I guess we were we were right in it, and as as we touched on with the Roosters earlier, I guess they just know when they just know when they've got to go into that next gear, and you know. I guess the Eels are a bit guilty of sort of, you know, arm grabbing or, or jersey pulling, and that that allowed Kiri to go past Reed Marnie and another one of our players, and there was Boyd Corden on on his outside, ready and willing to take the pass to score. But I mean, on the whole, as I said, I can't be too disappointed. I thought certainly in defence, I mean, we we did quite well, at least on our goal line. That's always been a massive criticism of the Eels side is that you know they can't really defend for long periods or if they can once they concede a try it just the floodgates open so 
I thought it was interesting too. I mean, Paul Kent touched on it on NRL 360 and um, in one of his articles as well. In the post-match press conference, Brad Arthur said the reason why the Roosters won is because the, the Eels weren't professional enough. I mean, I think that's obviously not only is that praising the Roosters, but I think he's letting his players know to say, hey, these guys are the benchmark. If you want to beat them, you can't afford any lapses no matter what. So, look, this is a game I probably expect them to win. I mean, the Raiders were just shambolic and diabolical against Manly. They just, it was nothing an attack for them. I don't know what's happened in since the season resumption, but what what do you reckon, Tom? I mean, can the Raiders come out of this, I guess, abyss of a of an of an attack that they currently seem to possess, or or is it going to be much of the same against an eel side that is pro- is probably going to have some fire in the belly after that Roosters loss? Yeah, no, I actually reckon the Raiders might come out firing this week. Obviously, a bit of a swamp at the moment, as you said, but you know, Ricky Stewart, he's gone unchanged. Good show of faith there and his players that he's got on the field. I think it'll be interesting to see how he injects uh, Hudson Young a little bit more into the team moving forward. Obviously, adds that size and aggression that they'll need this week going up against guys like Campbell Gillard and particularly Junior Poor. Junior Poor has just been fantastic the last few weeks. Obviously, that means he has to take either Tarpany or Horsburgh probably out of the side and moving forward once Bateman comes back, it becomes even more difficult to bring him in. But I think he definitely has to, just to add that that little bit extra of go forward moving, um, especially through the middle of the game. And then, yeah, Parramatta, I thought, were unlucky last week. Pretty good performance for probably 65 minutes, as you said. I thought, oh, I think they probably have two out of the three elements firing at the moment. They've got the defense is good. And the left side attack is there. I'd really like to see them throw a little bit more ball right. Mitch Moses, Blake Ferguson, get them a little bit more involved. I thought they were pretty quiet at stages on last Saturday night. But if they can really spark that attack, I think they'll be a team that can really challenge the Roosters come the end of the year. We might see a different result. Yeah, look, it's a bit of a funny one. I mean, I, I obviously, we know that Dylan Brown is, is you know, has spades of talent. And obviously, we've gone down the, you know, they've gone down the left with you know, Sean Lane and Mike Acevo's side. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a bit strange to see Ferguson sort of... I mean, it's not that he's been playing terribly, but I guess compared to what we were, what we saw last year, then when he was at the Roosters, it certainly isn't at the same level that it's at. I mean, I don't know whether it's simply because they haven't been going down the right side or, as happens in rugby league, obviously the older you get, you know, certainly th- things become a bit more difficult. But, yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, that's certainly an element that we want to, that the Eels in general should want to improve given how, I guess, how potent it was last year. Um, yeah, I think the key is just, you know, Moses just, just running the ball. Obviously we know he's a, we know he's a, he, his mentality is a, you know, run first and sort of try and do it with his feet and, you know, even getting a half break and trying to exploit those opportunities. But, you know, I mean, I, I guess you can't complain too much when, you know, you do have a left side that is firing on all cylinders at the moment, even if you do want a right side to be at the same level. But I guess that's that's a problem that comes up when you have, you know, quite a consistent team across the board. I am, I get, well, surprised, shocked, happy, I guess. Who knows? Depends what adjective an Eels fan wants to use. There's no more Penny Terrapo in the side. Now, I don't know if he's been injured or or what what's happened, but... That's probably I haven't seen Eels fans so happy since some of our plotters from the early 2010s and stuff left the club. It should be interesting now that you know Kofusi has he overtaken Terrapo in that prop rotation, or is this is this just a one-off? Obviously, no Kane Evans as well because he has a 
small calf strains. That's it's actually more of a loss. I mean, Kane Evans has been probably one of the best bench forwards in the game, certainly since the resumption. But you know, you can't always can't always expect players to stay on the field, injuries, suspension, and whatnot. So interesting one, nevertheless, and a good chance for Kafusi to hold that spot down. Well, we'll move on to our Sunday games now. First game is the Seagulls and the Sharks. Now, the Sharks certainly had that insanely hard-fought battle against the Bulldogs where Bulldogs mounted the late charge, I guess, and the Sharkies just held on. They didn't play too badly, I thought, the Sharkies. I mean, obviously, they've still got quite a few elements that they want to improve. They seem to have, I mean, at least based on that one game, it sort of seemed to to mesh with Moylan at the back and you know, Sean Johnson and Chad Townsend, who is much maligned by, by Sharks fans in recent weeks. But he did get his first try assist on the weekend, so that probably is just just a, a small amount for him, but not by too much. But look, I mean, the Sharks are, I guess, much like a few teams in the competition this year, you just don't know whether they're going to come out and perform or whether they're going to come out and even be consistent. And obviously we know they're coming up against a manly side that they don't have Tommy Turbo, they don't have Dylan Walker, they do welcome back quite a few players. Though Marty Tapao will come back in a prop, and George Tafu was back on the wing as well. So they, I mean, they welcome back a few guys. Cade Cust is going to be the interchange utility player with Lachlan Croker to start in Walker's absence. Even with the likes of Turbo and and Dylan Walker out, Tom, is this a game that you'd still expect Manly to win, given that they do still have a few weapons in their side? Yeah, I'm not too sure to be honest. Obviously. I think it's a little bit of a danger game for them. The loss of Tom Trebojevic is massive. We know that. You know, usually in this game, if they played this two weeks ago, it would be, would say it'd be a walk in the park for them. But now so much falls on the shoulders of David Cherry Evans. Obviously, we've, we've spoken a lot about Tom Trebojevic this year, and Cherry Evans, uh, Cherry Evans has taken a little bit of a back seat. But now with Lockie Croker and Brendan Elliott next to him, and you know nothing against them, they're pretty handy players. But they know Tom Trebojevic and Dylan Walker, so there'll be a lot of focus on. On daily, and I think we've seen in the past that he can handle it. He's just going to do it again for them this week. But for the Sharks, I know we'll speak to him a little bit later. But I thought Tim Williams from SC Playbook made a really important point that I probably didn't realise, and I think we, we as everyone has really been, have been jumping on Sean Johnson a little bit. But he's actually got the most try assists in the league, and I think with Moylan back, who definitely helps him, he could be one to watch this week because he could really explode into that, you know, SJ form of old and against a pretty depleted Manly. I think it could be definitely a danger game. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it, it's certainly a game that, as I mean, as you just touched on, if this was with Turbo two weeks ago, I guess you'd probably be tip. You know, most people would be saying, "Oh, yeah, thirty plus in favour of Manly." But obviously, with no Turbo, I mean, I think I read I read a stat that of the all the tries that they've scored this year, I think Turbo has either scored or assisted something like th- three quarters of them, or. 80% of them or something, like some insane amount, which I guess just tells you how essential he is to to that. But, I mean, mainly left-side attack more than anything else, but that he's just just how good he is and has been for this manly side. Yeah, definitely. He's been instrumental to their success. And I think some of the other guys have been a little bit quieter, as I said, with DCE. Also, someone like Jake Trebojevic probably hasn't been as involved in the attack as we've seen in previous years, but yeah, Tom Trebojevic is just such a good player. It's such a shame he's now injured for so long because I, I genuinely think that he could have been on for a very close to a Dalian winning season this year. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly, I think I think at the moment he was, 
Did I see him sitting on like nine or seven points or something? Uh, I mean, up there with obviously some of the other guys. So certainly, yeah, it's, I guess it's a, it's a shame for him and, and for Manly in general. Obviously, they've got to go probably minimum six weeks, but you'd, you'd expect it to be the eight weeks that, that they're predicting. And given he's had the hamstring issues in the past as well, you're certainly not about to rush him back to, you know, potentially damage it even further, seeing as he did miss 15 games, I think it was, last season. Yeah, definitely. I think Manly have got themselves in a great position now where they can you know, take a conservative approach with Tom Trebojevic and still hope we make the finals and get him fit and firing for that first week back uh, in September. Obviously, hopefully he's well before that. But if you can get him in form, then they could definitely be a team to watch in the finals this year. Yeah, I mean, and any side coached by Des Hasler as well. We certainly know what he's capable of as a coach, so... Be interesting. I mean, yeah, it 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 won't won't be easier for Manly, even though I guess on paper people might still think that it it can be. But very interesting clash to watch, and I guess it moves us into the final game of the round: the Bulldogs and the Tigers. I get, I guess also quite an interesting game in its own right. I mean, we just touched on the Dogs earlier. They're certainly they don't seem to be a side. I mean, unless unless you're the Roosters obviously, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, that blows them off the park. But, you know, there's certainly not a team that you can just go into and presume that, oh, yeah, it's going to be a, you know, 40-point win. And obviously, again, against your mob, the Tigers, Tom, we know that the Cowboys had that second-half flurry, I guess, against the Tigers. Was that a concern for you as a Tigers fan, or was that, or do you think it was just more more of a complacency I guess approach from from the Tigers thinking thinking or knowing that the game was won at thirty four nil or or whatever the score was. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. I think also another big consideration in that was the fact that the Tigers had three pretty major injuries throughout the game. Obviously, Alex Twal out for four weeks now, and then Zane Musgrove and Rob Jennings both expected to miss in the vicinity of ten weeks. I think this is a game that the Tigers should win, but we've seen what can happen in those games in the past on. One hand, they can come out and put it six unanswered tries in the first half on the Cowboys, and on the other, they can lose to the Titans. So I imagine they'll come pretty fired up for this one, though. I know I, I heard Madge Maguire speaking on Triple M on the weekend, and he was saying that the most uh, the most pleasing thing for him was to see how filthy the players were in themselves for letting that lead slip on on the weekend. But I think, obviously, Alex Twile is a big loss. He's been playing really great this season, but I think it's good to see Tommy Tawau get another chance. Synchrony since we spoke about him last, I think Adam Dewey has really worked his way into that fullback role and is starting to excel. I read during the week he's been watching some tapes of Teddy, so fingers crossed he can emulate some of that form. But and then, but the dogs won't be an easy challenge. They've looked much improved with Hopawade at fullback and uh, DWZ out wide. I think Avrillo has been super impressive as well. He's a quick lad, but he's got some good skills. Obviously, he came through the ranks as a bit of a half, so I'm not really sure whether he'll transition there or whether Pay has some other plans for him. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, as you said, I mean, I guess that sadly for you as a Tigers fan, I guess, yeah, they do have that knack of just somehow losing games that they probably shouldn't. But, I mean, yeah, the, the you know, when you've got a coach like Maguire who's going to pump the guys up, he's going to fire the team up and, and you know, get the best out of them that you'd expect them to win. I just want to touch on Harry Grant for a, just very briefly. Sort of, obviously, the Tigers have probably, I mean, you had, obviously, they had Robbie Farah for quite, quite a number of years I guess maybe the last couple of years some would say he wasn't as I guess the same player 
what what difference has Harry Grant in your eyes as a, as a Tiger fan, as a Tigers fan, brought to to your side? Oh, I just think at its most basic level, we he's got pretty good service from dummy half. He gets the guys running. He gets out of dummy half himself. He's very much in the Damien Cook sort of mould. But just that extra go forward on attack, which has been so important, obviously, this year with the new six again rule. And then in defence, just really solid as well. I think it's get, there's going to be a tough point at the end of the year where we're going to have to either lose Harry Grant back to the, the storm or we're going to have to, if Cameron Smith plays on and Harry Grant stays, we're going to have to lose Jacob Whittle, who's another really you know, exciting talent who's you know, probably still another eight weeks away from recovering from that um, ACL injury last year. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is a... You know, I mean, he's been a revelation, hasn't he? I mean, certainly, I guess he had the wraps from the storm, but it was just a question of whether he could, whether he was in fact ready. And yeah, I mean, he's he's certainly shown that he's not one of those kids that needs time to to adjust to the game. He can just come in and and make it make a big impact. So certainly has helped your side, you know, quite a fair bit. Just to, I guess, get the ball rolling and like my like you want most most hookers to do to sort of, you know, set the tone, sort of just get the Get the lime the, the lime speed the line speed up and running and and just really you know sort of get that aggressive nature that you want your entire defense to have. Well, that wraps up the games for round seven. Certainly, lots to look forward to, some potential blowouts, but obviously in a season where it looks like we have a clear a clear top eight and a clear bottom eight, I guess it's probably to be expected a little bit, but there's been plenty of news that's been going on, as there always is. Rugby league is never never shy of news. I guess we'll we'll kick off with something that we did mention earlier with the Warriors. Now, the sacking of Stephen Kearney. Now, look, mate, it's certainly... Everybody has sort of felt, in some way or another, the plight that the Warriors have gone through, being away from their families, having to essentially live in numerous different bubbles we know they went to tamworth and then they went you know the they're on the central coast for a while and then finally you know sort of made the base where they are now this is a bit of an interesting decision for me tom i mean i know the warriors weren't traveling that well overall but i mean they had they they did win they've, they've won two games since the resumption and if you believe what some people are saying this is this hasn't even come from the ceo this has come from the very top, at you know, from from the owners' level. So, I mean, it's just a strange decision to make at this point in the season, given that, as you touched on earlier, that even even the senior players were a bit taken aback by the decision. Yeah, definitely. I thought, as a lot of people think, it was quite harsh. I think a lot's been said throughout the week about it, but considering the fact that Stephen Kearney's put a lot aside, as have all the players to come across and lead their families for the good of the game. I thought he might get reprieved for the rest of the year, but not to be. And obviously the powers that be at the Warriors have made the decision. But you know, as we were touched on earlier in the in the preview of their game this week, it could have pretty damaging ramifications on the field if the players don't get fired up about it. Obviously, Todd Payton, I don't know a lot about his, his coaching experience. In, from what I understand, he, he's been in and around the coaching for a couple of years now, but big task for him straight up to take the Warriors who are away from home and really challenge them against a team like Melbourne. Yeah, I mean, you know, so it won't, won't be easy, but a new coach can can do wonders. But I just, yeah, no, I mean, I guess you, you just can't help but feel for Stephen Kearney through all of this, given how much he's sacrificed as well. I mean, I know he has family in Brisbane, 
from his because he was obviously an assistant there for a number of years. But just yeah, certainly just a bit of a strange decision to make at this point in the season. So I guess we'll move on to one that bit of news that I guess maybe people saw coming, maybe they didn't, but nevertheless has people I guess quite disappointed and angry given that they call themselves the home of rugby league. So Channel Nine has I mean, obviously, we know that there's no New South Wales or Queensland Cup this year in general because of the pandemic. But in order to save costs, they've actually Channel Nine has actually dropped their coverage completely for the 2021 and 2022 seasons. Now, you know, is it watched by everybody? It's not, but it's a bit of, a bit of an interesting decision for them to just drop it willingly like that, Tom. Given that you know more and more people are starting to take interest in. I guess, reserve grade as it stands or in, in the lower grades, as we see, you know, Fox seems to get quite quite decent, I guess, feedback and, and sort of viewership from, from that level of footy. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one for me because, or for mine, I don't know how much argument there can really be from rugby league fans about this decision, to be honest, because, you know, ultimately Channel 9 and all TV networks have to make the decisions to put the best rating shows on their screens, generate the most revenue. Because at the end of the day, they're they're a business to, out to make a profit. But you know, if fans want to see a reserve grade footy on the telly, they've got to watch it. So you know, but it's disappointing for the players, I'm sure, to lose some of that exposure. But I'm sure the New South Wales Rugby League and the Queensland Rugby League will definitely be looking at some other alternatives, maybe some digital options as well. I think streaming through something like KO or even Facebook Live could be an option. So I think that hardcore fans of reserve grade rugby league won't miss out in the end, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they were talking about the NRL might uh, have a live streaming thing on their own website, but I guess I guess we'll find out. I mean, obviously, 2021, we, we still have three quarters of a season basically to get through of 2020, so that's a long, long way away. But yeah, it certainly has lots of people scratching their heads. I guess a bit of good news for the Dragons this last week. Well, good news, I guess, depends again who which Dragons fans you talk to. But Michele Ravalawa has re-signed with them for, I think it was another three or four years. Look, I don't think he's as bad as some Dragons fans make him out to be, but certainly some comparisons that people have tried to make, at least when he started, to the likes of Semi Radraja. They're probably, he's probably not quite at that elite winger level yet, is he, Tom? No, I don't think so, but I know we spoke about him a few weeks ago, and he's been sold for them since. With so much going on at the club, it'll probably do the Dragons some good to have some stability in at least one position, I guess. You know, it could have some interesting ramifications for the Jason Saab and Tristan Saylor talks, though. Obviously, that's one backline spot that's now locked in with uh, with Ravalawa. So, you know, as the rumours start to swirl, I can't see this having too much of a positive impact on the Dragons' chances of signing uh, Saab in particular. Yeah, I mean, we know Saab is named this week, but that could just be a one-off. Who knows? I mean, there's certainly some strange times going on at the Dragons. I think perhaps... One of the more interesting pieces of news that, again, this it's just, could just be all rumour and in, in, innuendo. We know we know how much Craig Bellamy is, likes to serve the pot, how, how good he is at the mind games. But there was a report that 2021 could be his last year at the Storm. Would that surprise you in any way, Tom? Or do you think, I guess, it comes a time when even even the best coach has to leave a team he's been at for so long for, for a change or, or just because, I guess, becomes a bit stale, coaching the same team for 15 years or whatever it is that he's been there for, or not 15 years, but 10 to 12 years. Yeah, 
I don't know. I think it would be weird to see him coaching another club after all these years. You know, he's rid, ridden the highs of the premierships and the lows of the salary cap scandal. I I would liken it to someone like Jonathan Thurston or Andrew Johns leaving Cowboys or Newcastle at the end of their career for one or two years elsewhere. I mean, we've seen it historically in the US sports where great players like a Jordan or a Brady leave their teams for a one or two year stint. But, you know, Craig Bellamy hasn't missed a beat over the last few years. And I think there's so much wealth he could add to any organisation, not just to the players, but the coaching staff as well. I mean, we've essentially seen a new generation of coaches really come through the Bellamy Academy almost. And it seems the last phase now before you become an NRL coach to work under Craig. So, you know, he's had such a great impact on the game. And, but it would, yeah, it would surprise me to see him elsewhere. Yeah, I wonder if, I mean, obviously we know that he's been, there's been a report of the, you know, the dogs have approached him. And I think it was mentioned with Brisbane or whatever. So, I mean, again, who knows how much credence you can put in this. But I wonder if, uh, I guess if, if if this Storm report is true and it's to take a backseat from coaching, I wonder if a role like a director of football or something somewhere is probably, you know, won't be in the public domain, but he can still, I guess, still has the ability to, to you know, call some shots, to sort of do some recruitment for teams and sort of stuff rather than always being like in the front line of press conferences and whatnot. I guess maybe if that's a, a path that he chooses to go down. Yeah, definitely sounds like a good shout to me. Uh, so a couple more pieces, I mean, obviously, you know, a couple more pieces. We, we touched on it earlier with, at least with Tessie Niu, but there's some reports from the Courier Mail that both David Fafida and Tessie Niu could be Titans bound. Obviously, you know, that would, would come as a shock to many, particularly if you're David Fafida. But there was an, I thought there was an interesting comment made by Darren Lockyer, and I, mean, I don't know how much he knows about the ins and outs of the Broncos, seeing as he's no longer a player with them. But he was saying that, I think it was on Triple M, that the money that the Titans are throwing at David Fafida, the Broncos at this stage can't afford to give him the same amount. I guess the thing for David Fafida, do you go to a team that is rebuilding that I guess may or may not come close to winning a premiership at the moment or do you tough it out at the Broncos who seems to be going through quite a few problems of their own at the moment Tom? Yeah I think you nailed it right there actually obviously Dave Fafita and Tessie New are talented players and would be an asset to any club but and I have really little doubt that they're the right fit for the Titans the question now is whether the Titans are a good fit for them and I'm not 100% sure to be honest We've seen super talented guys like Dave Taylor, Kev Proctor, Mitch Rain go up there and really struggle. They're probably not going to achieve any success in the any success in the short term. It'd be a hard slog. So yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends how much time they give Holbrook as well. Obviously, did quite well at St Helens, uh, obviously in the, in, in the in the Super League. So yeah, it's just a question of whether they give him the reins to get the players that he wants and and form the side that he wants, but. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you probably you'd be a brave man to say that the Gold Coast, you know, you say yeah, the Gold Coast won a premiership. Obviously, they've got a lot of work to do before that even comes close to happening. Uh, probably, I mean, it's I guess most most people outside of Eels fans may not really care too much, but he did play for your your Tigers a few years back. Tom Jordan Rankin signs on, presumably taking the top thirty spot of Ethan Parry, who was released by the club, had a, not off-field issues, but a few things to work out, as as a lot, a lot of young players do. Did, were you a fan of his while he was at the club, while he was at, at your club, or 
or do you, and do you see him, I guess, getting any time if injuries hit the Eels at any point? I might get some time at the Eels, but I probably doubt it, to be honest. I think the Eels got some pretty good young uh, waiting in the wings there. I think that he's not a bad signing for depth purposes. We bring a lot of experience probably off the field as well, playing in systems here and in England, you know, at the Titans when they were starting up as well as at the Tigers and over in the Super League. But he was a little bit inconsistent in his time at the Tigers. He's probably a little bit older now. I think Brad Arthur's just making sure that the, the people waiting in the wings in case disaster strikes at any stage this year. Can't really say no to more depth and experience, but I guess for me, I don't, I don't think he'll play too much unless there's a catastrophic injury toll and, you know, we know he can cover pretty much anywhere in the back line, so that's handy. But it's probably just more there just to, I guess, an, an additional mentor for the likes of, you know, Dylan Brown and then some of the other guys that are coming through the ranks as well, in like Hayes Dunster and, and these young guys in the back line. But I wouldn't expect too much from him. So the final thing we'll touch on, uh, Brad Fittler has had his New South Wales Blues coaching career I guess extended until the end of 2021 we know he's won back-to-back series good move Tom or oh yeah I think it's great news for the Blues obviously it's revitalized that team and turned them into a bit of a winning machine now you know emulating what Queensland did a decade ago but I think one thing that also needs to be considered is the talent he's had to work with while he's in the role you know he's been blessed with guys like Tedesco Cook and the Trebojevich brothers and to be honest, if you threw someone like Laurie Daly or someone like that, and that you know, as coach of that side, I think they'd have success too. But you know, take nothing away from Freddie; he's been able to get the best out of the players, and I think I think an extension was well deserved. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly done well. I mean, it's I mean, the last time the Blues won back-to-back series was 2004-2005. So, well, obviously, we know Queensland had their sustained reign of dominance, but you know, it does tell you that he's obviously done something right to to get them firing to win one, you know, to win two, one series, let alone two. So, you know, it's testament to him and, and the work that he's done to, to get the players up for the, the origin arena. But yeah, I mean, you certainly, he's, he's certainly blessed, blessed for talent, much like the, the Maroon side were for, for their eight, 10 years, however long, however many that they won. So only ways up, you know, for, for Freddie and the blues as well. Yeah, definitely. Look at guys like Victor Radley, who haven't even had a chance to really get into the Origin Arena yet. Uh, and the same with Nathan Brown. They're both made for the game. And if they can get injected or even off the bench this year, the, the Blues are going to be really tough to beat. Yeah, too right. It should be quite quite the Origin Series at, at the end of the year. Obviously, we don't have a shortened season. There's no, no Origin in the middle of the year. But it'll be a very interesting series to watch after the grand final. Okay, so with us again, as always, we have... SC Playbook founder Tim Williams. Thanks for coming on again, Tim. Thanks for having me, boys. Good to be back on the show. Well, we'll just jump right in. Obviously, there's everything is happening. Super coach. We know that Tommy Turbo has has gone down. He's out for look six weeks. He's probably pushing it eight weeks. But you know that's obviously upset plenty of teams. Uh, obviously, now that he's out, what's where, where do teams go from here, Tim? Do they sort of do you just try and get Teddy and or Ponga if you don't have them in already, or or do you have to, or, or you have to, I guess, kind of just try and balance it all out with other 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 guns or keepers you might have in your team? Mate, pretty easy one for me. I think I, I don't own Tommy. Um, it's a bit of a shame that he went down because it was really enjoyable 
having the the three gun fullbacks who could go so big on any given week, and that was sort of the opportunity for people and super coaches to to bring back a lot of points each week if they could jag one of them three as a captain, um, who a lot of coaches didn't own. But look, I think you're now looking at Teddy and Ponga being the clear the the clear cut two fullbacks to choose from, and um, I think you'd be silly if you're not upgrading Tommy to them. And Tommy was over 700k, so it shouldn't be too too big a leap to do that. Yeah, how how that one affect you, Tom, in terms of in terms of turbo? Did you have him at all? Yeah, I did. Unfortunately, obviously, pretty good in the week. So he went big, and even last week it looked like he was on for another ton until he got injured. But for me, I guess it's between, you know, it's really choosing between Munster and Ponga. I think I'll probably go Ponga. Just that matchup against the Cowboys is too good to ignore. Obviously, again, it's then if the injuries in the backs was enough, we got plenty of carnage in the forwards this week with guys like Elsea Katoa out. Paddy Carrigan suspended. Who do you reckon are the uh, main trading targets up front this week, Tim? Um, it's a tough one. There's a bloke that's really come from the clouds is Daniel Saifiti, who's um, he's averaging sort of late 70s, early 80s or something. He In the first couple of rounds of the year, he, he didn't play sort of too big a minute. I think it was about late 30s, early 40s. Um, since it's come back from the postponed season and they came back for round three, he's been playing massive minutes, more minutes than David Clemmer, and he's scoring through the roof. I think he turned up on the weekend. Um and at 550k, he's a really good option. And the other one is Mo Fodawaka, who over at the Titans, he's, he's a bit the same. Not big minutes uh, the first two rounds. And he, I think he started the last month. And he's averaging early 70s. And he's only a little bit over 500k. So, I mean, if you're looking looking to get rid of Alex Twile, I think um, Saifidi and probably yeah, Fodawaka are the two guys you should be looking at. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of incredible with Saifidi, isn't it? How he was just, obviously, he, he did score a try on the weekend, which didn't, didn't do his score any harm. But... Is essentially in the space of what a nine-week COVID break he's gone from a, a super coach Nafi to almost a borderline keeper. Mate, it's incredible. He, he started the year at, at just under 300k, I think it was. Um, so got a few stats here. He, since he's been back from the break, he's averaging 57 minutes um, playing in the front row, which is pretty huge, especially with the new rules and the quicker ruck. Averaging 80 points per game and 64 base per game, so. Mate, I mean, Freddie sort of scouted him out last year and picked him in origin from the clouds, and, I mean, hasn't that been justified? Yeah, great option for those looking to trade out Alex Twile as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then the other one that, I mean, he's a risky option, but I'm pretty sure he's available as a dual second row, front row, but to beat a pan guys there, so if you can if you can stomach having that lunatic in your side with the suspension and injury risk, he's a good one, but, yeah, you'd take a pretty ballsy super coach. Yeah, that, that could make or break a season, couldn't it? Very quickly. Well, I mean, well, I guess while we're on the Knights, we'll talk about Bradman best. And obviously, I guess it was a bit unfortunate with the whole the COVID restrictions. And, you know, he, he went to his mum's place and that wasn't allowed under the, the the restrictions that this whole NRL Apollo sort of project has in place. We know he's got a, he's got a break even of 60, Tim. Is he a hold or a sell? Yeah, look, I think he's definitely a hold. The thing that perplexed me last week was with the thing that hurt Bradman best last week was that for some reason Caelan Ponga was restricted to the right side of the field which makes no sense to me I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it and I can't because Caelan Ponga is a lot stronger on the left side of the field and he ha- barely went there all night and of course Bradman best is the left center so look I'm thinking it's a one-off the fact that Ponga was on the right edge maybe it was an easy game against Brisbane they were pretty comfortable so Ponga was taking it easy but I think as we see the comp go on, he'll be back onto that left edge a lot more. And I think Best scores a lot of tries and sets up a lot of tries because of that. So I'll be holding on to him for now, but um, it is a bit of a concern. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was certainly surprised because I, I wasn't uh, wasn't watching the game in full. So when when I was having a look at 
at the scores like on the either on Fox Sports or the, or the NRL Supercoach live on on the phone. He, he's on 37 after like 70 minutes or 35. I was like, what the hell happened to him? But um, I mean, I, I think I read somewhere too that he got a knock to his wrist or something. I don't know, but I don't know how how true that was. But yeah, I mean, certainly, I guess the way he's been going, it's it's make, makes sense to hold on to him for now. Yeah, you boys holding on the best. Yeah, I definitely will be. I think if you if you're in a position to trade out Brabham Best this week, you you must be absolutely flying and, <laughs> and free of pretty much every other concern this week. You know, I've got a Sarko to worry about as well now playing on the bench with Tessie New. I mean, on the on the topic of Tessie New, obviously we're trying to get in all these gun players that we've spoken about, but we've got a pretty good bunch of uh, cheapies this week coming through with guys like Tabina Funa, Xavier Coates, Jake Avarillo, and as we said, Tessie New all with negative or very low break-evens. you got a clear pecking order there, Tim, or do you reckon any, any one of them are as good as the other? Um, look, it's really hard to separate them because you look at them and you go, Brisbane's run is extremely enticing. They've got what are they, the Titans this week. I think next week they've got, might be the Warriors. Um, yeah, the Warriors and they've got the Bulldogs. So probably the three easiest oppositions in the NRL. So you immediately get attracted to Xavier Coates, um, Tessie New. But then you look at how Brisbane have been playing, and you think, well, are they going to put a score on them or are they not? Because they haven't they haven't told us much. Um, you know, Tafita Funa, he's 171k as well. He's been ticking along well for men. They're now playing centre. Um, Avarillo is probably the pick of them, except he's now at 260k and playing for the Bulldogs. So where do the attacking points come from? So look, I really do think they've all got their their pros and their cons. But for me, I'd probably be going Xavier Coates just on on the eye test. He looks unbelievable. Um, and then Tessie New playing at fullback, he looks the goods as well. What about it? I mean, obviously there's there's plenty of kids that sort of come and go in terms of, of super coach team. What about uh, the the what is his name? The Hammer, Hamiso Tabawai Fido. Is he obviously? I mean, he was on zero at halftime last week, and everyone was was thinking, what's going on? Is he a Kenny Loomer's sort of a an investment down the track? I think he can. I jumped onto him last week and, and I wish sort of all these options had cropped up this week because I, I probably would have gone straight to a coach rather than rather than the hammer. But, I mean, it's just job security with the hammer. He's an exceptionally, exceptionally talented youngster. But Val Holmes will be back next week, we believe. He'll slot straight into fullback. The hammer probably goes to the wing. But, I mean, you had Benny Hampton at 14 last week and I thought he was one of their better players to start the year. So just that job security issue. But... I mean, that's what rookies are and cheapies are in Supercoach, aren't they? There's, there's not a lot of job security for many of them. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. I, mean, I, I, I got uh, Hamiso in just start of last, but yeah, the start of last round, and I was like, oh, okay, what's going on here? And he somehow, I guess, pulled 37 out of nowhere, but I guess you would imagine he's going to perform at least a little bit better given that fullbacks, you know, take the ball up so often. Yeah, well, look, you'd hope so, but I mean, that the Tigers matchup looked okay last week for him, and this week he's playing the Knights, who, I mean, they look like they're one of the better defensive sides in the NRL at the moment this year. So, I mean, matchup-wise, it's, it's a lot more frightening than the Tigers, as far as I'm concerned. But, I mean, you think with the attacking capabilities he's got, playing at fullback back, there should be some decent points, but um, I won't be playing in my 17 this week. You can sit on the bench and make a bit of money for me, and I'm happy for him to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's it, eh? <laughs> Yeah, so one the one final bit. Obviously, we know pretty much since I guess the start of the season that the whole whole halfback sort of battle has been Moses and Moses v Cleary. And obviously, you know Moses, I guess against the Roosters, he probably wasn't going to score any sort of massive amounts. With uh, just I mean, just on Twitter, I've been seeing lots of people saying, "Oh, I'm going to trade Moses for Cleary," or 
you know, sort of just get rid of Moses. What's the sort of feeling there in terms of how the two match up even at this point? Is is Moses the better option or is Cleary starting to be, become the better halfback option? Yeah, look, I, I'm very confident that Cleary will be the higher averaging player at the end of the year. Um, you throw into that, they've got South Sydney this week, which isn't too frightening as a super coach prospect. They then go on to play the Tigers, Sharks, Cowboys and Titans, which is an absolute dream matchup, particularly for a team like Penrith that are killing it at the moment, right up there at the, towards the top of the table. Um, look, the issue with Moses, which we might have spoken about the other week, but there's him and Dylan Brown who are as good as each other at the moment. They're, they're getting a split of the ball. At least at Penrith, you know, Cleary's the dominant playmaker. He gets a lot more ball, a lot more attacking opportunities, a lot more kicking and basically just more points, chance to score points. So um, Para have a pretty tough run coming up. So Cleary's the man for me. Um, if you can go Moses to him this week, um, like you were saying before, it's a bit of a luxury trade, but I, I do think Cleary's the man at halfback. What about you, Tom? Which one do you have? Oh, I've actually got Dill Brown in there at the moment, so pretty happy with that. I've got Scott Drinkwater clogging up the 5-8 spot, so I'm probably looking towards Munster for the moment. But, yeah, definitely looking to get Cleary in. I think just looking at these stats, as you're saying, Tim, that nice run. You've got the Sharks in round nine. He averages something like 110 or 115 against them um, in their two appearances last year. So it's pretty scary thought to not own him through that. Yeah, I mean, that's it, isn't it? Certainly it's... Uh... As as we all as we all know, it's the it's the conundrum of super coach just working out who to pick, who to get in, who to play in year seventeen, and obviously there's, I guess the worst part is I think someone was I, I saw on Twitter someone was spewing they had um was it the I can't remember which player it was but they they turned up and they they put like five thing, five tweets on Twitter about this player that there was was in was a non-playing reserve and blah 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 and it lost you know cost them the cost them their head-to-head or whatever it was, and I was like, well, maybe don't, maybe don't bench them next time. I saw I saw one head-to-head on Twitter that a bloke was blowing up, and he'd been done because he got beaten by about eight points, and it was all because Adam Elliott got a try assist with that grubber in goal. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's the worst way to lose in Supercoach when it's, you know, you look at it after all the games are done and you're, you're in the lead, and all of a sudden after they do all their all their last updates, you go back and you've lost. Oh, mate, it's, it's tough. To be done after last updates, after leading, there's there's nothing crueler in Supercoach. Yeah, agreed on that. <laughs> I, think, I think we all agree on that one. Well, anyway, we'll wrap that up there. Thanks again, Tim. I guess we'll we'll catch you in a fortnight's time to see what's changed in Supercoach or what stayed the same. Mate, plenty will change between now and then, fellas. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, we'll wrap it up there. That's another episode of Take the Two. So plenty of news to think about, plenty of games to think about. May your teams win. Obviously, not everyone can win, but at least put in the effort to make fans happy. So we'll see you next week, Tom. Thanks, Tricky. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.